Welcome to Remember the Prisoner, where we can relate and remember you in your cell or wherever you are. We want to exalt Jesus, equip the believer, and encourage inmates and their families. We are not complete without you. Thank you for tuning in. Guess who's back? Hey, hey, y'all, this is Jack. We're back. Remember the Prisoner podcast is here. Uh, We've had a setback. We had a lot of trouble there for a while. But God is good, and his word prevails. And what he wants done, he will provide for. And I'm excited to see how God is taking care of all this storm that we personally have been going through this bleak winter of the soul, I've heard it called. But anyway, thank you for your prayers, those of you who are, and you're still writing, and you're still blessing me, and I still appreciate it, even though we hadn't been on the program for months, and um, it's just been a really tough time, but God is good, and his word is real, and it's his word for you, his people, because we care about you. Scripture says we need to remember you guys. We need to remember the prisoners. Well, we not only want to remember the prisoner, we want to remember everybody affected by incarceration, whether it's your families, whether you're already out and struggling to make that transition back into the outside world, whatever it is, we got three goals. First of all, to exalt Jesus. We want to do that with every breath and every heartbeat. Second thing is to encourage the believers. Those of you guys, those of you girls, those folks who are affected by incarceration, whether your families, uh, spouses, uh, sons, grandsons, whatever, We want to be a blessing to encourage you, and we want to equip the believers. We want to encourage everybody. We want all of you that can hear this podcast be encouraged to keep your head up, to keep trying, not to give up. You got a heartbeat, you got a day. This is a day that the Lord has made, and you can rejoice and be glad in it. God is working in our midst, even when the clouds cover the sun, even when you're on the backside of the moon. I mean, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, uh, God wants to help you. Now, this broadcast, this particular podcast, is talking about a transition. We are in the process of doing what we've been talking about for a long time. We've been talking about getting contagious disciple-making involved in the prayer ministry. And they actually are having prayer meetings for you with your uh, 
request that you've been given to the volunteers. Also, we're going to make sure they get whatever you send me in the way of prayer request from JPays and from the mail. We're going to stay with uh, P.O. Box 19321, Amarillo, Texas, 79114, even if it gets forwarded to another landing spot. We want you guys to be able to continue to communicate with us and us communicate with you. We had a discussion about this next stage of our development in developing the prayer ministry and changing a hard place like prisons or like facing incarceration into a house of prayer. You know, we've been talking about making into a house of prayer. Well, obviously a prison isn't a house of prayer, but it is an opportunity for those of you who have come to Christ and in fellowship with him, regardless of what your past life has been, you can have a new life and use your time wisely in a way that will have an eternal impact by praying for others. You know, we in part of that discussion, we were talking about, well, who's qualified among us, talking about the team, of leading this discussion? <laughs> well, I wanted to say, like Paul, oh, who is sufficient for these things? He said that in 2 Corinthians. And he said, who's sufficient? So as I began to ponder those things, I know that there are praying people on our team they're praying people in a lot of places that we could be bringing in and mentioning as candidates for prayer leaders. But as we talk about it, and as I'm praying about it, I remember Jesus is the main model. It's not pray and hide. It's not brother Stan. It's not Reese Howell's intercessor. It's not E.M. Bounds. I mean, those are powerful people that God has used throughout history to make a major difference. Even old camel knees doesn't compare to the Lord himself in prayer. Number one, I want to point out, this is about our Lord's prayer life because he is our example 1 Peter 2.21, he said he left us an example that we could follow his steps. So, if we're going to have a prayer life, anything at all like Jesus, we're going to have to have the priorities that he had. Because not only did he have an unhindered relationship to the Father, because he didn't have a bunch of lies in his past. He wasn't taught a lot of wrong things. He was learning from the Father without a sin nature his whole life. And we know that he wasn't born with all that knowledge because it says that he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So he grew, which means he didn't have it all, all the time. But we know as in our example, he only had resources that are available to us. Yes, we all were taught things that are untrue 
all of us in our culture have been affected by the lies of the enemy and the world, the flesh, and the devil. I mean, we've all been lied to. And it's time for us to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and let's see how he prayed. Well, his prayer life, first of all, it said he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Hmm. I thought he was equal to the Father. Hell, he was in his heavenly state. But when he came to earth, he became a man limited, and I believe limited to human resources. He had an unbroken fellowship with the Father because he became obedient. It doesn't mean he just did all the right things. It means he was obedient. He modeled obedience. He is the definition, the example of obedience. It's not just doing. It's also about being. And he is our example. I mean, that's how we learn. Jesus taught by example. And that's what we're supposed to do. If we're going to make disciples, we have to be a disciple. And so that's where we're headed, is toward a prayer life like Jesus had. First thing I want to point out is his prayer lifestyle had a priority over his social life. It said in Matthew 14.23 that Jesus was alone and that he uh, dismissed the crowds and went up by himself to pray well into the night and he was alone. We're humans. We're social creatures. We're not made to spend our whole lives alone. That's, it's not like us. Now, one of the things I know about prisons is that if you could define a prison experience in one word, it would probably be lonely. Not just miserable, but lonely. Because they keep shuffling y'all around so that anytime you make any kind of real uh, deep kind of friends, you get moved, you get transferred. And the idea there is to keep those close relationships from really developing. We know there's a whole lot of ungodliness that substitutes for the kind of need that we have against loneliness. But anyway, Jesus chose in his lifestyle at times to be alone. He had the whole world at his feet, according to his disciples. They thought, look, Jesus, now's the time for you to be the king. And there was a point where they came to make him a king, and they was going to take him by force to be the king. They thought, well, he could challenge Caesar. I mean, a guy who could take a handful of groceries and feed 5,000 plus women and children, my soul, that guy like that could rule the world. Well, he chose to send the guys off in a boat and then he dismissed the crowds because he knew that his fame and his glory, his kingness was going to be proven at the cross and he had to go through the cross before he was going to be celebrated as he was going to be celebrated. 
So he was alone, but he wasn't distracted. You know, we get distracted as people. If our lifestyle is going to be the kind of life of prayer that Jesus had, then we can't be amused. If you think about the word amusement, it comes from two words. A, like ah, which is a Greek prefix meaning not, and muse, which likes, hmm, let me think about that. Muse it over. You're musing, you're thinking. So not thinking. When we get amused, we're turning our thinker off. We're trying to connect with a type of entertainment so we're not alone, so that we're not thinking too much. And uh, Jesus wants us to have the Lloyds of our minds girded about and to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So Jesus was alone at times, and he wasn't distracted. Next point was his prayer lifestyle had priority over his physical rest. It said, after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray well into the night, and he was there alone. He didn't just drop off to sleep. He did what he had to do. Now, it said he prayed well into the night when it would probably have been easier to just take a nap or, or go on to sleep for the evening and just retire. But he didn't do that because he and the Father needed to talk about some stuff. And if Jesus needed that prayer, kind of prayer life, what in the world could we believe that would make us think we don't. You know, people say, well, God already knows before you ask, so I don't have to ask him. Yeah, but he likes to hear us. Come on. If Jesus needed it, why would we think we don't? And then it says, above his physical rest, also in Luke 6, 12, it said, during those days he went up to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. So sometimes he prayed all night. He got up the next day with everybody else and went on about doing what they did. God met the Father, met the Son's physical need for rest some other way. And then in Mark 1.35, it said, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. That verse has challenged me a lot in my life. And then point number four, or the next point, is he had a priority in his prayer lifestyle over his appetite. He didn't let his hunger stop him from praying what he needs to pray. At some point in our discussions, we will be talking about fasting. Jesus said, when you fast. He didn't say, if you fast. Or it might be a good idea. He said, when. But Jesus said in John 4.34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. 
I don't know what God's got in mind for you, but I know it won't always be comfortable. It won't always be convenient. It will mess with your physical rest. It'll mess with your appetite. And even in your suffering, when it might be nice to turn off your consciousness, Jesus' lifestyle had prayer as a priority above his suffering. It says in Luke twenty-two forty-four, and being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood. Then in Hebrews 5, 7, it says, And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood. He was angry over the human condition. He wept at Lazarus' tomb. It says, uh, When Jesus saw her crying, and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. And then another verse or two, it says, Jesus wept. That's in John eleven thirty three and 35. And then he also had anguish over the rebellion of Jerusalem. Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not. It said, Matthew 23, 37, Jerusalem. Jerusalem who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. And it broke his heart. It tore him up. It was an awful feeling. I was at supper tonight and I was listening to people talk about the condition of education and talking about um, politics and talking about various things and the war in Israel and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, their worldview is so twisted. I mean, these are random people that I'm thrown into. I don't believe it's random in a ungodly sense. I just think these people represent our society. And, I mean, there's Mormons, Methodists, pagans, you know, they're all sitting at the table with us together, and they've got such a broken worldview. And then, of course, they want everybody else to agree with them so they can feel better about their way. And I just sat there being broken harbored thinking about this passage, that Jesus was broken over the human condition. Sometimes. God puts us in places where it's suffering with the broken condition of humanity. Next point is, his prayer lifestyle had priority over his joy, over his fun, over his amusement. And it says, at that time, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. And it's not out of character even. Say maybe he just did a little jig, just a little happy dance. You know, Jesus was excited. But then what did he do? In Luke ten twenty one, he could praise and thank God. 
in the middle of your enjoyment, in the middle of your pleasures of life, can you still thank God? Or do you start feeling like, I'm entitled to this pleasure? I mean, I'm entitled. I mean, this is what I do. And then we stop being happy in God. We start being seduced by our pleasures, by funniness, by humor, by entertainment, by distractions. And we stop feeling our need for God when everything's going so fine. So when Jesus had that experience, he wasn't seduced. He went and he continued to thank the Father. The next point is his prayer lifestyle had priority over his popularity. In one place, Jesus said, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. I mean, Jesus had the crowds. He had probably enough political pull to make a huge disturbance against Rome. But he didn't do it because he knew his kingdom wasn't of this world, as he later told and testified. Yet he frequently withdrew to the wilderness to pray. Luke six fifteen and 16 says, and then also John six fifteen says, Jesus realizing they were about to come and make him king by force, withdrew to a mountain by himself. His, his disciples might have said, hey, Jesus, if you were coming to the top of Rome, you could do it now. I mean, now we want to get out from under this Roman rule. And what did Jesus do? Sent those boys away in the boat. And then he turned around and dismissed the crowds. He didn't make a rally. He didn't, in fact, it says, a bruised reed will he not break. And a smoking flax he won't quench. He had an opportunity to do some damage. But he wasn't here to do damage to their culture or to their um, government. He was here to change people from the inside out. And he dismissed the crowd, and then he went to pray. His prayer lifestyle also had priority over unpopularity. It says, They, however, were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. But during those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. That's Luke 6, 11 and 12. Instead of running around doing collateral damage, you know, whatever you do, you know, trying to prevent collateral damage and trying to keep your name good, he didn't go out and defend himself. He just had to go talk to his father. And he and the father knew there was a bigger purpose. One of my favorite lines of all movies was years ago when Christopher Reeve was playing uh, Superman. And there's a line in there where the boy, uh, Clark Kent, said to his earthly dad, Look, if you'd let me play football, I can make a touchdown on every play. 
and he put his hand on the boy's shoulder and he said, Son, I'm not sure why you're here, but it ain't just to make touchdowns. We're not here just to make touchdowns, folks. We're not here to be popular or to be unpopular. We're here to be in fellowship with our Father and to do what He says. But this prayer lifestyle had a priority when he needed to make decisions. When he could see something he was fixing to do was have wide-reaching scope, he prayed. In fact, at this particular point, he prayed all night. And then he chose the 12 apostles. When we've got life facing us, what do you do? We need to pray. We need to hear. We need to spend time alone with our Father. We need to be finding out what His Word says, not just what feels good, not what feels right, but what does the Scripture say. And sometimes we're not sure, and we have to go to God and with that Word, and then God gives us strength to obey. Sometimes it's beyond our natural ability. I would say oftentimes it's beyond our own selfish desires, that's for sure. Because it will mess with your social life. It'll mess with your physical rest. It'll mess with your appetite. You have to pray when you're suffering. You have to pray when you're enjoying life. It's a priority over our popularity. It's a priority over our unpopularity. And only God can help us make the right choices that will do the right things. The scripture talks about people doing what's right in their own eyes. They're doing right in their own eyes. And it leads to destruction. There's a right in our eyes and a right in what's God's eyes. Let's seek him first and the kingdom of God. And these things will be added to you. God bless you real good till next time.